Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Kids are on their way out the door. They're going to go have a ton of fun back there. Uh, if you are new, my name is Derek. I'm the pastor here. And uh, I just want to echo what Riley said. Uh, we really hope that this place does feel like home to you. Uh, and so whatever that looks like, we just want you to know wherever you come from, whatever life has brought you through, we want you to know you belong here. And we're just so glad that you decided to spend your Sunday here with us. Uh, I'm actually back because I was gone last Sunday. And so Pastor Riley, uh, as much as we love to give him grief about forgetting to dismiss the kids, he did a fantastic job last Sunday. And so I just want to give credit to him. I was, I was telling first services and I was telling uh, our staff this. Uh, if you weren't here last week, Riley decided to, to bless me with something by just encouraging people to text me. And what was super funny is uh, before I jumped on a plane to come back home from my in-laws, uh, I had turned, you know, I checked in with the team. Everything was good to go. And so I turned my phone off because so I knew I wasn't going to be back for church. And I was just going to just take the Sunday easy. And so uh, at about like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I turned my phone back on. And I'm convinced my phone started to overheat because it was just like from all the different text messages that were coming through my phone uh, from a lot of you who were just sending me encouraging things. But my first thought was like, what's happening? You know, because like there was no like, you know, when you first turn on your phone, there's no contacts. And so I'm like, what just happened? Uh, But I was just so blessed uh, just by your guys' encouragements, by your texts. Uh, Pastor Riley just a great job bringing a great word. And uh, so thank you for that. I'm excited to continue on. Ironically enough, uh, in that plane ride back to Minnesota, um, I had what I consider like a plane snooze. You know, you, 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 when you're on a plane and you fall asleep, like, it's like time is like almost irrelevant for a second. Because you're like, has it been 10 minutes or two hours? How long has it been out? Did I lean my shoulder onto the person next to me? And oh, dear goodness, did I get drool on them? Like the, all the things that go through your mind. But in this little miniature nap I had, I had a weird dream. And it was a recurring dream I have all of the time where I couldn't run. It's almost like my legs like didn't work. I have these all of the time where it's like whether I'm like on a basketball court back in high school, I'm trying to like save the play or whether it's like I'm running for my life from danger. There gets this point where it's like I try to run and I can't because like my legs are just busted. And the problem with that is my legs are my self-defense mechanism. Okay. Like Riley lifts weights Tuesdays and Thursdays with the high schoolers so that they can wrestle grizzly bears. Literally, that's like how they phrase it. And uh, for me, I don't need to wrestle. I just need to run faster than Riley does. You know, like I just, I don't need to wrestle the grizzly bears. I'm just trying to get out in front of anybody else. And so my legs are my self-defense mechanism. I, that's, that's how I'm getting out of danger. And so these dreams I have all of the time mess with me because it's like, I want to run so bad, like in the worst way I want to, but I can't. And I was thinking about that, that dream because when I, when I was watching back the sermon series and, and Riley kicked off this thing called Breaking Free, that really is the heart of this sermon series, right? Like, we all want to break free from something. We want to just kind of get this thing behind us. And in the worst way, we want to go forward, but there's something that's holding us back. Maybe it's like a, a negative thought pattern. I talked about this last week where it's like sometimes we get held back by our negative thoughts or we get held back by our worry or our past 
all these things that come with it. Sometimes it's like there's this thing that's holding us back, whether it's, it's an addiction or it's a habit or it's something that we just really, really wish we could stop, but we, we can't. Sometimes it's finances. Sometimes it's health. What are the things that hold us back from growing in our faith, from going to that next level in our relationship with Jesus? What are those things that hold us back from being the best version of ourselves? And we talked about this last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom, what a great word. What a great concept, the idea that you are free to live the life that God has called us to live. When Paul is talking about this, he's not saying everything just a free-for-all, and you can do whatever you want, and it's all good. No, he's talking about you are free to live the life God's called you to live. You're free to chase after the dreams he's put on your heart. You're free to live the life he paid for. And that's what he's talking about here is when he says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When you trust in God, when you trust in the Lord with your whole being, there is a freedom because you know what? There's nothing that's going to hold you back. There's nothing heaven or on earth that's going to hold you back from what God's called you to do when you step into him and step into the purpose he has for you. So this week, I want to talk about what are one of the other things that hold us back. We talked about negative thoughts. We talked about the past. But what's the next layer? What is that thing that keeps us from really living that life that God has called us to live? And we're going to pick it up in Numbers chapter 20. I want to give a disclaimer. I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you this morning. A lot, but there's a lot of really intricate details that are really good for this, and I promise I'm not going to make it boring, (laughs) okay? It'll be really good. Not that scripture is boring, because it's not, but there's some really, really important details in here I want to show you. Numbers chapter 20. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh, and there Miriam died and was buried. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. The Bible is very relevant, right? It just goes to show that there's always something that can be discontent sometimes. There's always, when I read this, it almost felt like the Israelites were kind of like the little kid, like, I need a snack. Like, I'm hungry. We don't have any food here in the house. Like, this whole thing. I read that through this lens, but that really is kind of what the nation of Israel is kind of in in this, in this space. So when we read this text, here's what's happening, okay? This is now a few years after what they call the Exodus. The Israelites were literal slaves in Egypt. And so they are praying to God, would you please just get us out of slavery? We don't want to be slaves anymore. So God brings them. He, he uses Moses to lead them out of this country. And crazy things happen. Crazy things like God splits the Red Sea in half, and the Israelites walk along it on dry ground. And then as the, the, the Egyptians are chasing them, he pushes the water back, and they are all taken 
care of. He brings them manna from heaven, which is food, miraculously. He does all these crazy things. Yet here they are in Numbers chapter 20. And it says they're walking through the wilderness of Zim. Geography-wise, this is the southern part of the country of Israel called the Negev. It's desert. It's really, really, really hot. Like really hot and dry, like 110 degrees of a dry heat, the kind of the heat that like Minnesotans are craving right now. But it's just hot. And they have no water. They have no water. They're not, they're not walking through the wilderness in their, their Silverado with the, 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 the cooled steering wheel and the climate-controlled seats and the sunroof with the wind coming in. Like They're trudging through the desert in their sandals and all of their heavy clothes, and there's no water. I don't know if anyone has kids or had kids at one point where it's like, when you have a hangry kid, life is just insane. Like when they are hungry and thirsty and they need something, it's like, I'm going to go insane right now. Like they, they need something so bad. And so the Israelites are sitting there going, we should have just died, Moses. Like, did you just leave us alone? Because this is the worst. And so Moses is feeling this heat. He's feeling this tension. And so in Numbers chapter 20, verse 6, it says this, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Moses is a good leader. He's been leading the Israelites. And so what he does is he, he, he feels this struggle. He feels this tension. So he falls face down. He says, God, what should we do here? Would you help us? Would you lead us? And God responds this way in verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff. You and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock of the community so they and their livestock can drink. This is a weird command it can feel like. Like, he falls face down and says, God, what should we do? And God says, hey, I want you to go to the rock. I want you to speak to it, and water will blow out of it for you, everyone to drink. It's a very specific request. But look how Moses handles it. Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff, Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. Cool, right? Like, like God, he says, hey, I mean, you speak to this rock. Water will come out. So Moses gets everybody together. Everything's awesome. The whole country is sitting right there. Moses takes his staff and says, hey, everybody, must we bring you water out of this rock, you rebels? Check this out. And he hits the rock twice. Water pours out. And it seems like, oh, yes. Water, let's go. Everything's good. Now everyone can stop hating me as a leader. Now instead of them just nagging and being like, why'd you lead us out of here? Finally, their needs are going to come to an end. Everything is great, right? Verse 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them not the response that they probably anticipated. They brought water. People have something to drink now. 
It was great, right? Why is God upset about it? I was reading this story and I was kind of laughing to myself because when I was growing up in like late elementary school, like fourth grade, one thing that did not come easy to me was math. All right, Riley is a math major, which is like the most logical track to becoming a pastor. So, you know, like he's, he's awesome that way. He, numbers came like that to him, right? But for me, that was the one thing that did not come super, super easy to me. So my dad was try, trying to help me with math homework. And, you know, when you're in fourth grade, your dad's like just the man. He's just awesome, right? So he's like, don't worry, Derek, I'll, I'll, I'll help you with your math. It'll be all good. And so I'm like, because I'm sitting there at the kitchen table just like, you know, just completely beside myself. And so here he comes, he sits down, he goes, oh, this is easy. And so then he does what dads do best, pulls out the calculator, right? And you're not supposed to have the calculator in fourth grade math. You're supposed to do it by hand because they want to show you the process, right? But he's like, no, it'll be our secret. Like, I'll bring the calculator. I was like, dad, you're the best, you know? Like, this is awesome. I'm all pumped because I know, listen here, my dad's helping me with this. He's got the calculator. This is a slam dunk. This is going to be awesome. So sure enough, we're going through the math homework, slam it out in 10, 15 minutes, and I cannot wait for school the next day because I know I'm going to walk in there knowing full well I ace this thing. You know, I got my piece of paper, it's nice and smooth, put it into the folder, bring it to school, hand it in like, this is a gift for you, teach. Here you go, right? Like hand her the assignment. And so the next day I get it back and I cannot wait to see that big fat A plus on the top. It's going to be great. And she hands it back and I'm kind of like, you know, confidently being like, check this out, guys. Open it up. C minus? What in the world? Like, like all the answers were correct. We fact checked them. But all the teachers in the room, you are going to appreciate this. There was red marker all up and down my math homework with two words on it show work, right? The answers were right, but I had, the teacher could not prove that I was showing the right methodical processes going through this, and I got docked for it, major points, because I did not show my work. I was laughing about my, laughing at this as I kind of recalled the story, because I have to imagine this is kind of Moses' response. He brought water out of a rock, People were needing water. They, they were getting ready to pass out because it was so hot and so dry. And you need water when you're walking through the desert. So why is God upset with how this went down? And as we're going to unpack today, the reason God's upset about how Moses handled this was because Moses took control of a situation he was not meant to take control of. He tried to take control of something that was not his to control. It's so interesting to me how often we as human beings want to take control of our life. And it's a good thing, right? When you take control of something, you're taking ownership of it. You're taking responsibility. You're putting your name, your reputation, yourself on the line saying, you know what, I'm going to fix this because I care about this. And that's a great thing. That's phenomenal. Taking control of your life, taking control of your decisions, those are all really good things. But... You also get to spots in life when you realize there are some things you just can't control. They're out of your control. 
And you can try a million and one ways to get control of them. You know, it's kind of like one of those things where sometimes we really want somebody to think highly of us, or we really want somebody to do something for us. So we go to this person because they know that person. And if we can speak to that person, then they'll say, we're awesome. And you kind of go around this super long and strenuous path to fix the outcome. We try to take control of things that we can't take control of, things like Raising kids in a world that is always changing and always evolving, sometimes for the good, sometimes not, is scary. And so I can kind of feel like, what if we just pulled them in and just kind of kept them from everything because we need to do that? It's a great choice. It's a great thing to, to, to love your kids, but there are just certain things that they are subjected to them that we physically can't control. No amount of pulling them from things is going to keep them from that. Sometimes we try to overextend ourselves and do something super, super specific to take control of the situation because we want it to be a fixed outcome. I believe if we want to break free, if we want to go to another level in our faith, if we want to grow as a person, we want to grow in our walk with God, we have to be okay with letting go of control. We have to. Because there are things in life that will happen that literally no amount of effort, no amount of desire, no amount of boundaries are going to keep things from happening. There are just some things that are beyond our control. And to grow in our faith, we need to be okay with letting go of it smartly. Here's what happens. Control in your life occurs when logic trumps obedience. Or what, are you, what you think is the best thing, what you think is logical, is better than what maybe God's called you to do. It's one of those things where sometimes you kind of have that Holy Spirit conviction, that, that still small voice inside of you that goes, you should really take the high road on this one. You should, I know it's tough. I know they cut you. I know they wronged you. But just take the high road, right? Maybe I'm alone in this one, but it's kind of like, you, you, you have that, you kind of have this wrestle. And I've learned over my time with the Lord that, that sometimes it's hard to just let that go. Sometimes it's hard to not lash out and do certain things. But control, taking control is when that logic trumps what God's called you to do. The same thing in finances. This is a tough one, right? Maybe God's called you to step out and do something nice for somebody, to bless somebody generous, to give, and you're sitting there going, I just can't do that. What happens if a rainy day comes? Everything is razor tight. I can't let go of control because if I let go of control, the bottom could fall out and everything could go haywire. Control can look like anything. Where you're sitting there going, I don't want to get hurt again. So I'm not just cutting this person out of my life. I'm cutting everybody out. I'm going to isolate. I want to control the ability to not get hurt like that ever again. Control is something that is not a sin. A desire to control your life is not you willingly admitting to sin. If you desire to be in control, it's not that you're a wrong person because it's not. It shows that you care. It shows that you want good things for your life. It's a great thing, but... When you try to take too much control, when you have that desire to control everything, it reveals a misplaced trust. 
a desire to control reveals a misplaced trust. You will follow and act in response to that which you trust the most. If my wife were to come up to me after service and say, hey, I want to take the truck home. Is that cool? I'd flip her the keys in a heartbeat. All right? If I went to track practice on Monday and one of my track athletes said, hey, can I take your truck home? I'd be like, ha no. No shot. No shot. Right? Even if they were 16 and they could drive. Like, I'm not flipping my keys to somebody that I don't know. Why? Because I, I, it's not that I don't trust you. It's not that I don't think you're a great person. It's just I don't know you. So I have no problem giving control of my vehicle to my wife who I trust. I have a whole issue giving control of my vehicle to someone I don't trust. If you don't trust somebody else or something else, you will not give them control. And so here's what happens. When we say, you know what? I'm going to take control of my own life. I'm going to do everything in my power and control my destiny. You're in essence saying, I trust myself the most. I trust myself more than anybody else. And for good reason. Sometimes that is how we go about life. Sometimes taking control is a very valid and important thing. But here's the problem with that. We're human beings. Those desires, those motivations, a lot of times they're really, really guided good, but sometimes they're not. And sometimes we read a situation wrong. And so we act accordingly because we're taking control. People get hurt. We get hurt. We read it wrong and we go, oh, not see that coming. Your motivations, your desires, your efforts might be spot on. But desperately craving control over anything else will lead to more pain and more strife and more struggle. Why was God upset with Moses in Numbers chapter 20? Let's give Moses the benefit of the doubt for a second. Moses has been a good leader. He didn't just wake up one day and decide, you know what? I want to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. God called him to do that. And there's kind of like this, this, this self-doubt. And I don't know if he got the right person, all the stuff that went with it. But he said, you know what? I'm going to trust God. I'm going to lead this nation. And he's been doing it. He brought, God's been continuing to do new and great things. Like I mentioned before, he's been doing awesome things. But despite all of it, the Israelites don't like him as a leader. Did you see that language in Numbers chapter 20? You led us through the wilderness, and that's why we're here. It's you that brought us through. We were better off if we had died with our brothers. These people are coming after Moses, and they're not happy with him. There's an intense distaste. There is an intense, this need for water and this need for refreshment is so strong that there's like some real, real hostility among them because they need water. So even though water came, the problem is Moses took control of a situation instead of trusting God fully. Here's what I mean by that. In Numbers chapter 20, this is now about two-ish years after the Exodus. And if you go back and flip back in Scripture to Exodus chapter 17, look how this reads. 
But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like a little, like almost identical to the story I just mentioned in a different book of the Bible, in a different chapter? If so, yeah, it's almost identical. The only difference is this is actually a few years prior to Numbers chapter 20. This is fresh out of the Exodus. This is very, very recent out of the whole cool thing that happens, and the same problem exists. They're thirsty. They have no water. They're going to Moses saying, we need water. We're in the desert. And here's Moses' response. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Oreb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Exodus chapter 17. Same problem. We need water. Same response by Moses. Goes and asks God, what should I do? This time, two years earlier, God said, strike the rock, and water will come out of it. So he takes his staff, he hits the rock, and water gushes out of it. Here's why this is super, super interesting. I know there's a lot of scripture on the table right now, but there's some really intricate details that leave a really big impact. Exodus chapter 17 was in the wilderness of Sin. S-I-N. It's a different part of the country. Different landscapes, different rocks, different geography. Numbers chapter 20 is in the wilderness of Zin, Z-I-N. Different rocks, different part of the country. And here's why this is significant. In Exodus chapter 17, God said, hey, hit the rock. Because all the rock was smooth. It was all kind of one cohesive thing. And so... I don't know if you guys are bored later. Feel free to. I'm giving you permission. If you're bored later, go grab a baseball bat from your house. Come to our parking lot and smack it and see if water comes out. Probably won't happen, right? I'm really curious to know if we have any dents in our parking lot tomorrow. Let's make, make sure to check that. Right? But like a, a, it's an impossible thing, right? If you were to take a staff and hit a rock, you don't expect water to come out of it like a fire hydrant. At least I don't. Yet that's what happens in Exodus chapter 17. He hits the rock and boom, water comes out and everybody's got water again. Problem solved. Here's what's interesting. That's in the wilderness of Sin, S-I-N. Numbers chapter 20 is in the wilderness of Zin, Z-I-N. I actually walked through it. Dylan will throw that picture up on there. I was going to show you guys a picture of me in my uh, Jurassic Park style hat when I was in Israel, but I couldn't find it. I, well, let me put it on Facebook because it's sure to make you laugh. But Here's the wilderness of Zin, okay? Here are the people right down here. It's beautiful. It's such a, it's like a mini Grand Canyon in Israel. It is super, super beautiful. Basically, you walk through this ravine, and on each side of you, you have really tall rock faces on either side of it. Here's why that's significant. You'll see in the rock face, there's all these different cracks that go straight up the rock face. 
But what happens is in the summertime around here, right? When we wake up early in the morning, you see dew all over the place, right? The temperature drops, moisture you know, coagulates on the grass, and you have moisture. Same thing happens in Israel. During the day, it's hot, and the sun is intense, and so it just zaps up all moisture. But at night, when the temperature drops, moisture collects. Now, I'm getting really nerdy with you for a second, but I promise it's on purpose. That moisture in the wilderness of Zin gets stuck in the cracks of the rocks. And because in the cracks of the rocks, that moisture is not getting hit with direct sunlight. So that moisture just kind of gets stuck in that crack. And that's why you would see vines and little weeds growing through it because they have moisture in there. But what happens is over time, that moisture and the heat changes back and forth, there's actually a crust that comes over the crack. It's limestone. There's a crust that comes over that crack, and all that moisture gets stuck in the crack and stays there. And then as the plants continue to grow, they give off more moisture, and so it's basically like a little tiny well behind this little crust in the rock. And when you grow up in the desert and you're familiar with the little secrets of the desert in the Negev, you know this. Here's why this is significant. God said to Moses, I want you to speak to the rock and water will come out of it. But Moses was scared. Everybody that he is following or is following him wants his head. Why'd you lead us here? What kind of a leader are you? And he's scared that if he gets everybody together at the rock and he says, water come out and nothing comes out, there's going to be anarchy, right? They're going to go crazy. So because he knows there's water behind that crust, he takes his staff he hits it and breaks it open, and water comes out. The problem that God had with this, that he didn't trust God to bring the miracle. He relied on his own knowledge. He relied on his own strength. Before everybody here, before the whole nation of Israel, he didn't trust God. To bring him through, he trusted himself. He took control instead of letting God work the miracle. Here's the challenge I have for us this morning. It's normal and acceptable to want to take control of your life. It's normal to be smart, to make sure your kids are safe to save money, to make sure everything's going to be okay, to work hard, to put yourself in a place to succeed, for everything to be okay. It's okay to desire those things and put boundaries in place. But there gets a point where you have to be okay with the fact that you're not in control. The best part is there's someone greater who is. God was in control that entire time. God was leading them through the wilderness. 
God was, was before them, even when they were disobedient, even when they weren't following him, even when they hated him, God was still faithful. God was still with them. God was in control the entire time. He knew that all Moses would have to do is just say, bring water from that rock, and water would have gushed out of that rock. He had a plan the whole time. But Moses, because he was scared of the what if, took matters into his own hands. And it was a problem. So many times in life, things will happen to us that come out of nowhere. Things that are beyond our control. Things are going great. Things are going awesome. But you know what? All of a sudden now, like this thing just drops in your lap and you go, what in the world am I going to do? And the first thing we try to do is fix it. Got to fix it. What do I got to do? Do I got to go talk to this person? Do I got to go do that? We try every possible scenario to fix the problem. And when it all comes up empty, we sit there and we go, "Ah, I should just pray about it. And when we pray about it, something maybe just shifts a little bit. So many times, everybody, we try to take control of our life we try and control something we were never meant to control. You can do everything right. You can be the greatest driver in the world, never going over the speed limit, wearing your seatbelt, going slow on curves, going slow in the weather. You can be the most meticulous, controlled, in control driver in the whole world. person coming down the other side of the road might not be. They might not be. And if they push you off the road and your car rolls, you did everything right. They were out of control. We want to be in control. Because control makes us feel like we have a greater sense of peace. When you are in control, it feels like you can control stimuli, you can control things in such a way that nothing bad's going to happen, and that brings us peace. But the problem with that equation is there are just, as a matter of fact, things in life that are not in our control that come out of nowhere. I experienced it this week. Wednesday, I, I, was, I finished the sermon. I was like, oh, this is going to be super great. And Thursday, something happened that I didn't see coming. That was kind of like a semi-truck for us. Not literally like a semi-truck, but an emotional semi-truck that went, oh, you've got to be kidding me. But here's the difference. A year ago, that would have messed me up for days with worry and stress and anxiety and everything else that comes with it. But this time, with fresh knowledge of what the scripture says, it was kind of like, man, that stinks. That really is a massive bummer. But you know what? Somehow, someway, God's going to work it out. Don't know how, don't know when, don't know what it's going to look like, but I have the most assured peace in my soul knowing I was never in control in the first place. He was. 
So instead of fighting it, instead of trying to make a way and go this way and do this and do this, instead of just following the path that brings me back that way, this way might be a little bit more obscure and unknown, but there's a lot more peace on this route because you know he's in control. I'm not going to be a hypocrite and make it seem like it's easy to just let go and let God be in control because I know it's not. It can be hard to let go of control. It can be hard to trust God when everything around you makes it seem like things are way out of control. But I've seen it time and time and time again. I have seen it in the pages of Scripture. God is faithful all the time. Even when we, I, I can only imagine again, Moses probably was not super happy with God. Like, God, I'm stepping out. I'm believing your people. I'm outside of my comfort zone. And this is what I get. I get people, you know, mad at me, wishing I was dead. I didn't sign up for this. God is faithful. Even when Moses did it the wrong way, God still brought water because he knew the people needed it. You might get it wrong. You might try to take control of your life and it ends up in a big old mess, a bigger mess than when you had to take control of it. If I encourage you, God's really good at making messes clean. God is really good about sorting out the details if we'll trust him. If we'll trust him. It's the most difficult and the most freeing thing all at the same time when you sit here going like this to this. It's hard. When you let go and let God take control, it is amazing the peace that follows. Because you don't know how or when or why. But you can trust that the God of the universe is on your side, making a way where there is no way. My most practical application I can send you out the door with today is who do you trust? Are we putting all of our chips in our own basket? Or are we willing to let God take control of the wheel? Harry Underwood said it. Jesus, take the wheel. Here's the thing. We never had the wheel in the first place. He has the wheel. We just get to put our hands on top of his. Will you let go and let God take you through the storm, take you through the mess, and just trust that you're going to come out on the other side? Not only better, but with a whole new awareness of who God is. He's got you. Fight your doubts. Fight your questions. Fight your anger towards him even. He is faithful, and he will be faithful. To break free, to find freedom, you have to let go of control. And things begin to move. Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, 
I thank you for who you are. I thank you, God. It's not about being perfect in our own strength that gives us right standing with you. It's about just believing in you and trusting in you with our life. Jesus, this week, I just really felt like there are people in this room that are just holding on to things with an iron grip, white knuckling it the whole way, just hoping it works itself out. And God, I just pray that those people in this room would experience freedom today as they let go. As they holistically say, God, I trust you. I don't know how. I'm not saying I'm even just going to bow out, but I'm choosing to trust you for a good outcome. Jesus, today, I just pray for those in this room that need the peace that transcends all understanding, knowing, God, that you are with us in every battle and every triumph. Jesus, for those in this room, we just need to make it right. They've had control and it hasn't maybe gone as they wished. Maybe life even went great, but they just feel something missing. Jesus, for all of us, I just pray that we could just collectively say, Jesus, we're sorry for getting it wrong. We're sorry for the things that we do that are not of your design. But Jesus, we just accept your gift of salvation and we accept your forgiveness that you offered and you paid with your blood. Jesus, as we walk out of this place today, May we walk out in freedom knowing that we're not in control, but you are. And we can lean into that and trust that with every ounce of our being. May we walk out of this place with our head held high and joy in our step knowing that you're with us, you're behind us, and you've got us. Jesus, we're breaking free from the need to control and instead stepping into your trust. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Can we give God some praise this morning? This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.